God, you won't be clapping after a while. But I'm not going to be short. I'm going to preach till I get it out of my craw. And it's only 9 o'clock. By Brownsville standards, it's high noon. It's early. And uh, I'm going to be going to Ephesians. I'm going to be going to Psalms. And I'll be going to Ezekiel. Should be the three books that I'll go to. And I'm going to take my time. This is not going to be a message tonight that you will have a lot of amens and um, that kind of thing where you'll uh, thunderous applause. This is going to be a message to think. God's going to be talking to every one of us. I want to say it again. This is not going to be a hoopla message. This is going to be a, a word and a message from the Lord. It's not a sermon. It's a message. This message, I realize tonight that we've got a lot of people here that's been standing in line to get in, a revival crowd, people that are here for the very first time, and some of them are sinners. And Brother Steve will be coming at the end of my message, and he'll be giving an altar call, but this message basically tonight is to the church. And uh, I'm preaching tonight, I know, to a lot of pastors and uh, ministers and their spouses. And I realize that I'm dealing with a lot of people that's in the ministry, but I also am dealing with a lot of Christians. Maybe some of you are backslidden. Maybe some of you has never known God. And maybe some of you are here tonight and you haven't known God since you've been a boy or a girl, a little girl. But I know the Lord's going to talk to us tonight. That's why I'm going to take my time. I'm not going to hurry and I'm going to preach until I get it out of my craw. Ephesians 5. I want you to look at verse, we'll begin reading with verse 17. This is a strange scripture for revival, but trust me, I'm going somewhere. Look at verse 17 especially. It says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I want to stop there. I want you to let your eyes go back over that verse with me again because in verse 18 we have a conjunction. Verse 18 begins with and. It is conjunction. It ties in with the other parts that I'm reading now. The apostle said to the church at Ephesus, Wherefore, be ye not unwise. In other words, don't be a fool, but understand. Get an understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the story takes a turn. The plot changes. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, 
love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave. For this cause shall a man leave. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined and shall be joined and shall be joined unto his wife and they too they T-W-O shall be O-N-E one flesh look at an interesting scripture this intrigues me Verse 32, this is a great mystery. This is not just a mystery. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. May be seated. <clears throat> the first thing I want to say to you tonight is God has plans and God has purposes. Can somebody say amen? amen? Let me say it again. God has plans. He never operates in a mist. He's never vague. He knows the past. He's the alpha. And he knows the future. He is the omega. God has vision, and God is going somewhere. The church is going somewhere. And I don't know about you, but I want to go with him. And I want to flow in the purposes and in the plan of God. And if we go with God in what he's doing in this hour, it is a dark hour, it is a troublesome hour as you look and see things in the natural, but yet it is one of the most promising hours of human history. 
Bible said, where wickedness and evil does abound, my grace does much more abound. And there's a lot of troublesome things that we see coming on the horizon. You look at Israel, and you see that Prime Minister Netanyahu has just survived. It seems like a controversy there, but yet at the same time, his political party is in great jeopardy. His leadership is in great jeopardy, especially at a time whenever they have all these settlements that they're trying to settle. Jews coming into Israel, their own people and people coming in from places where they have been over the whole face of the earth. You look at all the different things that's in America and you look at the different things that's in the nations of the world and we see that it's a dark hour, but at the same time we understand that it's probably about the greatest moment that the church has ever seen. If we're going to face this moment and this hour with the kind of equipment and the tools that God wants us to have for the upcoming days, only God knows how long that will be, maybe hours, maybe days, it may be weeks, it may be months, and it may be years, none of us knows. But if we're going to face the future, we're going to have to get the mind of God know where he's going, catch his vision, and cooperate with God and go with God or else we're going to be left high and dry and devil's traffic in dry places. As you read Ephesians 5 and verse 32, you get the implication that God is trying to say something here through the Apostle Paul that we need to take Ephesians 5 apart and peel it back layer by layer and see that this is more than marriage counseling. That there's a lot in there that Holy Spirit is trying to reveal, but yet it is a mystery and not just a mystery, but it is a great mystery. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That seems so out of place. Whenever you look and it talks about being drunk with wine, singing to yourselves, psalms and hymns, submitting yourselves, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, husband, love your wives. It seems like verse 17 is so out of character and so out of place to precede all this information that God gives about husbands and wives. But I want us to look at it real close one more time. It says, wherefore, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I want to say to you tonight, please don't try to take notes. I'm going to be going too quickly. This is available on tape. If you'd like to get it on tape, it's in three parts. I'll only be able to preach it one part tonight. But there's a lot more here than what I'll be able to say to you in this one message. It is a three-part message, and you might want to pick that up. It just all depends. But I do know that God tonight wants me to share this. Don't try to make notes because whenever you do, we lose you. And I want you to listen to every word tonight. The apostle said, don't be foolish and don't be unwise, but understand. Let God give you an understanding what the will, the will of the Lord is. Now, in verse 18, there's a conjunction there and he ties it in. And he says, and don't just be unwise. And he said, don't just be 
exempt of understanding of what the will of the Lord is, but he said, I want you to get drunk, not with wine, with alcohol, but he said, I want you to be filled with the Spirit. Look this way, everybody. How many of you know when you get filled with the Spirit, it has the same kind of effect on a person as alcohol would on a lost sinner person? Matter of fact, the Bible said on the day of Pentecost, when they came down from the upper room, they supposed them to be drunk. Peter stood up and preached, and he said, these are not drunk as you suppose. These are not drunk because of the fruit of the vine, but these are drunk because of being filled with the Holy Ghost. So the apostle said, don't be unwise, understand what the will of the Lord is, and get intoxicated with the Spirit. Why? Why does that verse of Scripture fit in Ephesians 5 of all places? What's the purpose of the apostle writing down, be not drunk with wine, understand what the will of the Lord is, be not drunk with wine, and immediately he starts talking about husband and wife relationships. And if you notice, whenever a person gets drunk, whenever a person gets intoxicated, what's one of the things they start doing? They start singing. How dry I am. Yeah. Uh, even though they can't carry a tune in the bucket, they start singing. You know, and watch this. He says, look at it in chapter 5. Be not drunk with wine, verse 18. Wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And he said, when you get filled with the Spirit, you'll start speaking to yourselves and singing songs. And you'll start singing spiritual songs. Not the songs of the world, but you'll start singing spiritual songs and hymns and making melody in your heart to who? To the Lord. And then he goes and he says, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God, then he goes right into this wife business. <clears throat> now the body of Christ has to do with God's function on the earth. The body of Christ has to do with God's function on the earth. But when the bride, not the body, when the bride is mentioned in Scripture, the bride of Christ, it has to do with a heavenly concept. I've often said here behind this pulpit, and I wouldn't preach it for a long time until I felt real confident and sure about it, I've often said that not everybody I don't believe. Now, I stand open to be rebuked and corrected, but I'm not sure that everybody that makes up the body of Christ on the earth is going to make up the bride of Christ in heaven. Because you see, there's a lot of people today in the earth that call themselves Christians, and they're part of so-called denominations of the so-called church of the living God but they're not living for the Lord and they have no fruit to bear witness with their experience. So I'm not so sure that everybody that calls themselves a Christian and calls themselves part of the body of Christ on the earth is going to make up the bride in heaven. I could get into that a little bit more, but I don't have time. When the bride is mentioned in Scripture, the bride of Christ, it has to do with the heavenly concept, and out of that body, the Lord is going to ascertain 
a bride. And God, even today, now as I speak, God is calling his bride out of the so-called body of Christ on the earth. And I think that we had better understand that God is getting serious with the church. And I think that we had better understand tonight that we had better listen to the Holy Ghost. It is the end of the age talk. Whenever God starts talking about the bride, it is end of the age talk. He's talking about there's going to be change out from among my so-called people on the earth. I'm about to call out a bride that is going to have on spotless robes without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And I'm calling her out now. And I think it would behoove the church to listen to the voice of the Holy Ghost as God starts talking to us in this final hours of the dispensation of grace. How does the Lord get us ready to become his bride? I'll tell you how. Through husband and wife relationships in a large way. I know not everybody's married. I know there's some young people here tonight that has not yet had the blessing of being married. And I know that there's some of you here that due to circumstances beyond your control, you're not married and you wish you were married. And I also know that there's some of you here tonight that the Lord has called you to live a celibate life and to be single and be available for the Holy Ghost. I understand that. And I also want to get something clear before I move on. I also know there's exceptions to everything. And I also know that there are some marriages that are so complicated and so difficult, there's no ready answer. Because even the devil can get involved in a man or a woman in a marriage situation and make it very difficult on the other ones. But what we're talking about tonight is a normal marriage relationship. How does the church get ready to become the bride of Christ? We do it and we learn it through husband and wife relationships. And here we go. God is saying to you, Pastor, spouse, evangelist, spouse, layperson, saying it to John Kilpatrick and to Brenda. God is saying, get it together at home. Get it together with your husband. Get it together with your wife. Paul was caught up in the spirit into the third heaven, the Bible says. And he saw things that was unlawful for a man to utter. And when he came back from the third heaven, he had seen things that he could not even write about. Could it possibly be that one of the things that the Apostle Paul may have saw in heaven, could it have been that he saw something to do with earthly marriages? That Holy Spirit is working and doing something that the devil has blinded us to. And where we should be in school and being educated and learning how to get prepared to be Christ's bride. 
that we are failing and we're missing God a million miles and a lot of things in our lives are in jeopardy. Could it be that Paul saw something up there in regard to husband and wife relationships that when he came back, he said, Behold, I show you a great mystery. I don't just show you a mystery. But behold, I show you a great mystery. I speak, he said, concerning Christ and the church. In the natural husband-wife relationship, God teaches us. God's trying to train us. And God is testing us. I want to say that again. In the natural husband and wife relationships, first the natural, then the spiritual. Like Dick Rubin said last night, even about the golden altar and about the tabernacle in the wilderness, it was a picture, Hebrews said, of heaven. Could it be that marriage and the home and the intimacy between a man and his wife is also something that we have not yet seen. That God is trying to work in us, speak to us. He's teaching us. He's training us. He's testing us. He's scrutinizing us. And he's trying to work a sensitivity in us. But you learn sensitivity through an earthly way by being sensitive to your husband or to your wife. And if you can't or won't learn in the marriage relationship, you probably won't learn how to be sensitive to the Lord and you probably will never learn the heart of your heavenly bridegroom. Men have no idea what their wives are feeling. If the average man, including preachers, would take time and sit down eye to eye with their wife and pull up a chair and kill their schedule and talk to their wife and say, honey, I'm open, I'm not busy, I want to bear my heart and I want you to speak into my life about me and our relationship, it would probably take her two to three weeks to empty her heart. It would probably take her two to three weeks if she could have your attention to really say to you in the right spirit where things have gone awry in your home. If the average man could sit down with his wife and say to his wife, honey, I want to say some things to you and I want to bear my heart to you. And I want you to hear my heart, and I say this with kindness and tenderness and love. It would take that man a long time to pour out a lot of grief and a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Suppose Jesus would come to you today, sir, and he would say to you, John, Fred, Bill, I want you to present your wife to me and let me look her over. What would he see? I'm not talking about how you clothe her. 
I'm not talking about diamonds on her fingers, and I'm not talking about a roof over her head, and I'm not talking about credit cards in her wallet. If Jesus would say to you, Sir, present your wife to me and let me look her over, and he would take his probing eyes and look on the inside of her, what would he see? Would he see a woman that was in pain? Would he see a woman that was being neglected? Would he see a woman that was not being loved unconditionally? Would he see a woman that felt always inferior and being compared to other women in her husband's life? Would he find a woman that had such bleeding pain and wounds on the inside of her from the things that her husband has venomously spewed into her little ears and yet tries to smooth it over and act like everything's all right and come on, we'll go back to church and everything will be fine and you never get it settled and she still bleeds and she's been bleeding for 20 years. But you go to church and you put on the facade. You get behind the pulpit and you preach even about the family and you portray your family as being perfect knowing that there's a woman sitting out there in the pew whose heart is dying. Her bones are drying up. What about it, lady? What about it? If the Lord said to you, present your husband to me and let me look him over from head to foot. Not the meals you cook for him. Not the way you press his shirts and his trousers. Not the way you take care of his children. What would Jesus see in that husband? Would he find a man whose wife pulls away and does her own thing and she's not in submission to him? And she's never made that husband feel his significance? She's never made him feel that he's the most important thing in her life? He's always felt inferior. Maybe he's always felt like that she thought in her heart that she could have done better. If Jesus put his eyes from the top of your husband's head all the way down to his feet, what would he see in him? That's what the Holy Ghost is saying to us tonight in the church in these final hours of the closing days of the dispensation of grace. You say, oh, I'm part of the bride of Christ. Are you really? Have you got it together at home? Are you hearing what God is saying? And I want to say this to you, my friend. If the Lord says to that man, present your wife to me and let me look her over, what he would see in her is basically your relationship with him. And if the Lord said to you, sir, or said to you, ma'am, present your husband to me and let me look him over, what he would see in your husband is basically your relationship with the Lord. If you've never learned to yield to your husband, if you've never learned to make your husband number one, if you've never learned to let your husband feel the significance of who he is, he's the best lover, he's the best worker, he's the best father, he's the best husband. 
I guarantee you Jesus feels the same way about your relationship with him. And if the Lord looks at that woman and he sees that her heart is bleeding and you haven't loved her, like the Bible said, I speak a great mystery concerning Christ and the church. Let a man see that he loves his wife, even as the Lord loves the church. And if you haven't been loving your wife, and the Lord looks her over and inspects her, and he sees the bleeding, and the wounds, and the pain, and the cover-up, that's basically your relationship with the Lord. The Bible even says that a man's prayers be not hindered. Let him see that he treats his wife rightly. That your prayers be not hindered. If Jesus were to come to you and say, let me look your mate over, I would ask you right now before we move on any further, what would he find? What would he find? Is your home in trouble tonight? Is your marriage in trouble? I'll guarantee if it is, unless there's some serious controversial situations otherwise, Probably your relationship with the Lord is also on the rocks. Ephesians 5.31, look at this. Bible said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined. I want you to take a minute tonight and I want you to look at this. For this cause... Shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined? I, I have a tendency right now to want to veer away and miss a lot of good stuff that I need to share with you, but I will just say this much. Have you learned after the ceremony? In a lot of cases when you got married, have you learned after the ceremony was over? And you said, I do. You went away to the honeymoon suite and you had your time and your fill of love. Have you learned after the honeymoon was over and reality set in that maybe either the wife or the husband, one, never really joined themselves to you? Have you maybe learned that your wife never broke away from daddy and you're offended about it? She's supposed to be yours, but daddy has more say and more influence in her life than you do. Something happens to you, sir. And suppose, lady, after the honeymoon is over and you settle down and you're working an everyday work-a-day job, and you find out that your daddy or that your husband never broke away from some other lover that he previously had or some other relationship or maybe even his mother, or his own father. Or maybe he never broke away from children from a previous marriage to make you his number one. You're heard about it. And after the sex dies down, after the fire and the passion dies down, and reality sits in, you realize you're not joined. And you're not one. And what you realize is something's going on, but this don't feel like I know it should feel. I want to ask you before I move on, how many of you under the sound of my voice has ever really left everything 
and been joined unto the Lord as one. What the Holy Ghost is saying to us tonight is this. Are you really mine? Are you really mine? Are you really my bride? Will you really be mine? Will you really break away? Will you really join to me? Will we really be one? Or is your heart somewhere else and your body is in another place? Is your body in church and your hands are in the air? But is your heart really still out there in the world? When you're joined with God, you have no money problems. When you're joined with God, there's healings will take place. Tears will dry up. Joy will spring forth. But many have never really been joined. And it's possible to be married and to be materially happy, but be unsatisfied. I want to say that again because I'm headed somewhere. It's possible to be married and it's possible to be materially satisfied and not have no needs and have money in the bank. Be married but yet be dying on the inside because you're unsatisfied. Maybe not dissatisfied, but you're unsatisfied. There's a yearning in here. There's a longing in here that that man has not touched. There's a yearning in here and there's a longing in here that that woman has not been able to satisfy in you because she won't be joined to you. And you realize after the sex and after the covenant of marriage, the marriage ceremony is over, you feel and you know, I am unsatisfied. Paul said it's a great mystery. Turn to Psalms, chapter number 42. Y'all with me? Hallelujah. Psalms chapter number 42. Look at verses 1 and 2. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come? and appear before God. Would you read that with me? Let's read it together. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This is not talking about death. This is talking about when Am I going to be able to come, Lord, into your presence and have you? When, oh God, am I going to be able to come into your presence and experience you? I don't want to just know about you doctrinally. Lord, when? I'm thirsty 
as a deer panteth after the water brook. Oh God, there's something in my soul that's not satisfied, oh God. I've tried people, I've tried places, I've tried things, but oh God, I'm not happy. It's possible to be a Christian baptized in water, filled with the Holy Ghost, and be unsatisfied. It's more than speaking in tongues. It's more than seeing miracles. It's more than reading your Bible, my friend. The psalmist said, when can I have you? I'm convinced, my brother and my sister, that there's a lot of people in the kingdom of God that has never had an experience with the Lord. I'm convinced that there's a lot of people in the so-called body of Christ that has no inkling of what it means to be joined and to be one with the Lord. I'm convinced of it. He's talking about coming into God's presence and he said, I'm unsatisfied. An unsatisfied life means you've got salvation You've got sanctification, you've got tongues, you've got interpretation of tongues, you've got prophecy, you've got visions, you've got dreams, you've got miracles. But you're missing something. I want to ask you tonight, and don't raise your hands, how many of you in this place are missing something when it comes to your experience with God? Is there a dead place in here? that pants and thirst after something that you haven't yet got from God. The Lord told us in the first week of this revival when it broke out here at Brownsville, he's, and we've only had just a few messages in tongues, unbelievably, in a revival of this magnitude. But the Lord spoke to us the first week in this revival, and he said, I am now introducing my son to my people. So when they see him at the meeting in the air, they'll not be surprised when they meet him. And friend, I want to tell you something. God, the Holy Spirit, is trying his best in these closing days of these hours to introduce the body of Christ to the living Christ, the living bridegroom. But it seems like to me that our heart is set on everything else but him. You see, it's not about falling in the floor. It's not about preaching. It's not about evangelizing. It's not about pastoring. It's not about buildings. It's not about money. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Ghost. Psalms 42 and 2 said, My soul thirsteth for God. For what kind of God? The living God. My soul thirsteth for the living God. When? That psalmist, I can hear his heart. He said, Oh, my soul thirsteth after the living God. When? Oh, when can I come and appear before him? I want to hold him. I want to hear him. I want to smell his fragrance. I want to see the color of his eyes. I want to see the color of his hair. I want to hear his voice. When can I appear before my Lord? I'm afraid we got a little too much church on us in this hour. I'm afraid, friend, we got a little bit too much of man on us in this hour. 
We need to get rid of some of that stuff and say, when shall I come in the presence of the Lord? My soul thirsteth after you, O God. That thirst will draw you. That thirst will move you into areas where God will trouble you. I want to say that again. Your thirst is dangerous because you see, friend, your thirst will set you up where God will begin to maneuver you through situations and he'll begin to set you up and move you into circumstances that's going to ultimately bring you to him in intimacy. But before the Lord can bring you to himself, you know why Ephesians starts with the wives? Because God is the bridegroom and he never changes. So if we're going to ever see the bridegroom, he deals with the wife first, and that's us. And it says wives. We've got to change if we're ever going to be moved in the presence of the Lord. You know, sometimes I think that we may think we're ready to meet the Lord and we may think we're ready to come in the presence of the Lord. But friend, I think we may be radically shocked if God would bring us in to the presence of the Lord in our condition as we even are tonight. You might say, but Brother Kilpatrick, I'm in revival. And oh, Brother Kilpatrick, I'm having a move of God in my life. And oh, Pastor, I've been on the floor and I've had dreams and visions. Wonderful. But I really wonder... How many of us are really ready to be brought into the presence of the Lord? We might be like Isaiah when he said, I saw the Lord and he was high lifted up. And I said to myself, woe is me for I am unclean. Sometime when we think we're our most spiritual, if we could really see the condition we're really in, the Lord might look at us and say, you think you're ready to come into my presence, but I've got a lot of work to do on you yet. And that's why we're unsatisfied. And friend, if you're really panting after the Lord as a deer will the water brook, and you're really hungry for the presence of God, that hunger is going to set you up. Watch this. Look in Psalms. Look in Psalms 42, verse 7. It says, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me have you ever had a situation in your marriage when your wife comes in and says honey I need you and you say to her, but didn't I buy you three dresses last week? Didn't I take you out to eat? Didn't I buy you a new dining room suit a few months ago? Are you going through the change? What's wrong with you? No, I'm not going through the change. Well, what's wrong? I need you. Well, I'm busy. And that wife calls out for that husband. Honey, I need you. Drop everything and let me have you. Or that man says to his wife, 
Honey, I need you. I don't need you sexually. I need you. I need to hold you. I need you to hear my heart. I need you to look in my eyes. I need you to sit down with me in the solace and the quietness of our home. I need you. Oh, but I've got to go off with mama. Honey, I'll get with you later. Go in there and pray. The Lord will help you. <laughs> Psalms 42 verse 7 says, Deep calls to deep. How many of you know there's a deep on the inside of us that calls to the deep of God? How many of you know there's something that cries out, I want you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Before revival broke out, friend, in this church, there was times I came down to this church and I would lay on the front row behind those chairs. There was no chairs up here then. I lay on the front row. And I'd come down here some morning, just put on a pair of sweatpants, never cut the lights on. And I'd hit the security system in the back and let myself in and lock the door behind me. Three or four o'clock in the morning. Something deep inside of me was calling out to the deep of God. And I said, Lord, there's got to be more. And I would come in here in this building and I would scare myself, friend. It was the stillness of that dark pre-dawn hours. Four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, and I'd lay on that front row and I'd grab my belly and bellow out like a cow. Oh, God! I need you, Lord! I would walk these floors and I would cry out loud. I knew nobody was around and I knew nobody could hear. And I'd lift my voice sometime till I would be hoarse and I'd say, God, there's more. There's got to be more. I thank you, Lord, for the church. I thank you for the building. I thank you for my wife and children. But oh, God, I'm dying inside. And I'd lay there sometime in the still quiet in a fetal position on that front row. And then I would hear the Lord say, keep going after me, son. You'll find me. I felt the Holy Ghost talk to somebody right there. Mandra shorore babayolo. I cry out, oh God, I want you. I don't want religion. I don't want another television program. I don't want new TV equipment. I don't want another church. I don't want another congregation. I don't want another Bible. I don't want another wife. I don't want more kids. I want you, Lord. There's something in the deep part of me that's crying out. Religion and the husk of religion has not satisfied my soul. I want you, Lord. And the Lord says, in that day when you seek me with all your heart, you shall what? You shall find me. When that cry comes from your heart, and I want you to listen, I'm taking you on a journey. When that cry begins to come from your heart, and there's preachers sitting here tonight, you're listening to me and you're relating to what I'm saying.
Some of you have been through hell, some of you are going through hell, and some of you are almost through hell. But I'm going to tell you this now. You're at a place to where you're crying out, and there's a cry coming out from you, and God is letting that cry and that thirst set you up. And look at verse 7. Isn't this interesting? It says, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. You know what waves and billows do? It breaks things loose off of you. God will send his waves. And when those waves begin to crash up against you, God will begin to knock stuff off of you. Have you ever read where the Bible says, Lay aside every weight that so easily besets you? And as you begin to cry out for God, he will then call for his waves and his billows to go out from the throne and it will begin to crash up against your life and God will begin to break things loose in your life. How many of you are here tonight and you can say with, a, with an upraised hand, Brother Kilpatrick, God is breaking some things loose in my life. God is beginning to break away some things in my life that I've been intertwined with for a long time and now I'm beginning to feel his waves and his shocks and his billows beginning to come from heaven and they're beginning to hit me and they're beginning to loosen some things in my life and I'm feeling like that I'm beginning to lay aside some of those weights that has always beset me. And oh, I want you to listen to something else. Look at Psalms 43. I like this one. Verse 2. It says, For thou art God, the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Look at this, verse 3. I love this. It says, Oh, send out thy light and send out thy truth and let them lead me unto you. And let your light and your truth bring me under your holy hill and under your tabernacles. Look this way. You see, God's got some things, friend, that he can send to you. First of all, they will come like billows and waves to begin to break some things loose. That's mercy. God could send a hammer, but he only sends the waves. And after the waves hit you and they go back out in the ocean, you're still standing, but it knocks some stuff off of you. God is not out to destroy us, friend. He's out to bless us. God is not looking for an opportunity to get even with us. God is looking for an opportunity to bless us. And he doesn't want to destroy you, so he sends his waves and his billows, and they begin to break some things loose in you. But after it's all over, your integrity and your dignity is still intact, and God says, I love you, son. But oh, I like this next part where it says, Oh, send out thy light, and send out thy truth, and let them lead me to your holy hill. Friend, remember what I told you a while ago? When it said that thirst and that hunger that you have in your heart for God will set you up for situations and circumstances. That hunger will set you up and it won't be long you'll begin to feel some waves crashing against you. When you feel them crashing, don't curse the Lord. Thank him that he's sending things your way to begin to knock things off. 
breakers. Before revival hit Brownsville, I felt myself breaking up. I've never been a crier. And it wasn't nerves, it wasn't bad nerves. It wasn't depression. It was like a hand went down my mouth, right into my gut. And it was like the Lord reached down in that old fallow hard ground and he began to massage it down there. And it's like he put a plow, he stuck a plow or shovel on the inside of my fallow ground and gently began to turn that up and break up that fallow ground. Oh God, send forth thy breakers and thy waves. And God will begin to send forth situations in your life to break you because there's so much of you that needs to be broken. If you tried to come in the presence of the Lord with all that pride and with all that self, you couldn't take what the Lord had for you. But by the time God gets through breaking you and by the time he gets through sending out his waves and his breakers to break that mess off of you, you're going to be getting prepped and ready to be brought in to a new experience with the Lord. And it says, let thy truth and thy light, let them lead me. You know what that means? Sometimes we think we're ready for God to do what he wants to do in our life. And we say, Lord, search me. Do you really mean it? Did you know when the light comes on, when the sunlight comes up, you can turn your blinds in your house and you can see dust floating in the air. Send forth thy light and let your light lead me to your holy hill where you are. In other words, what the psalmist was saying is, Lord, if the breakers and the waves are not gonna be enough to free me, Send your light. Brother, you're getting brave when you ask the Lord to send his light. Because like I said, when the sunlight comes through and that's bright, that's brighter than any flashlight, that's brighter than anything that you can possibly imagine. When the sunlight comes and you can see the sunlight coming through the blinds of your house, you can see dust floating in the air. When God shines his light just right on your life, you'll be able to see even the smallest things in your life that God has been trying to deal with for a long time. Now I want you to listen to me, friends. There's hatches and seals on the inside of you that the Holy Ghost, you've never allowed him to burst those seals. You ever seen these movies of where they're in these submarines? and they had a problem in the mechanical room and they seal that off. In order to get in there, sometime that water can be so built up and there can be such pressure that that seal can hardly be broken. In some of your lives, there's such pain and such grief and such hidden things and darkness, rebellions, that you've never let the Holy Ghost Break those seals and get in there and do the damage repair. And you've never let him go in there and heal something with you that makes you be better in relationships. There's seals and hatches that the Holy Ghost will begin to move in your life and he'll begin to crack them. And as you begin to hear them crack, you'll cringe and say, oh God, not that. Send forth thy light 
and thy truth and let them lead me. Now, when God sends you truth, friend, the truth that he sends will never interrupt other truth. And it will never invade other truth. Did you hear me? Whenever God begins to send truth into you, it won't be like other truth that he's given you before will be negated because God is truth and whatever he gives you will not be outside the word of God. It will be something that he's already tried to build as a foundation in your life and he'll just add to other truth he's already given you. But he won't tamper or violate other truths that he's already given you. Send forth thy breakers, send forth thy waves, send forth thy light, and send forth thy truth, and let them lead me. And believe me, brother, there's a lot of people today in the kingdom of God that if you're going to be part of the bride of Christ, you better pray, and you better begin to get serious with God and say, Lord, I embrace your waves. I embrace your breakers. I embrace your light, and I embrace your truth, Lord. Do with me whatever you need to do, but God, help me to get in line so that I can be part of the bride of Christ. Now, I want to show you something. Look in Psalms 44. I want you to look this way for a moment. Did you know, friend, that there's a big difference in what God can do and what God will do? You hear me? There's a big difference in what God can do and what God will do. Have you ever seen a man that was married to a woman and he bought groceries and kept them stocked in the house? He fed her? And a man in a marriage situation, he clothed her. Maybe even buy her jewelry. Provide a nice home for her. Heated and cooled. Everything nice. But that man would never give himself to her because he sensed she had never joined herself to him. And she'd never made him her life. And as a consequence of that, he withheld himself from her. He still took care of her. But she never knew intimacy with him. I want you to listen to something. Psalms 44, verses 1 through 8, describes what God can do. It's his power. It's his ability and his strength. Psalms 44, verses 9 through 16 is God's resistance. God's saying, I can do it, but I'm not going to do it for you. Y'all listening? Y'all listening? God's saying, I can do it, but I'm resisting you. I'm not rejecting you. I'm resisting you. I can do it, but I'm not going to do it for you. And then Psalms 44, 17 through 26 tells us that it wasn't sin. Because down in 17 through 26, it says, Israel said, well, Lord, we haven't stretched out our hands to false gods. And we've kept your covenant. Lord, we've been faithful. Why are you resisting us? We've heard about all your miracles, but why are you resisting us? 
Did you know that a husband has the ability to love his wife, take care of her, do all those things, but many times a man will say to his wife, you go on and go to bed and I'll be in there in a little bit. And he lets her go ahead and go to sleep and he waits till she's asleep before he comes to bed. Not because he doesn't desire her, but because he's grieved with her. And he knows she's never joined herself and left everything to be his. And he says, you're going in yonder now and you go to sleep and I'll be in there in a little bit. And he reads the paper. He resists her. He doesn't give himself to her. Oh, he provides. He heals. Answers her prayers, but he puts her off. He buys her, does everything but give himself to her. And she runs to the pastor and she says, Pastor, I've been a faithful wife. I've not committed adultery. I've taken care of his kids. I've done everything that's right. And I can't get that man to open up to me and be my husband. Well, do you think he, no, he's not running around. I know his schedule. He's not involved with somebody else. He just hides behind the newspaper. He stays late at the office so he doesn't have to come home to me. He lets me go to bed first and make sure I'm asleep before he comes to bed. Have you ever seen a husband ask his wife, honey, do you love me? She says, I cook for you. I clean for you. I am your washwoman. I'm your maid, I raise your kids, I've been faithful to you, I've been faithful in my duty. What do you mean do I love you? She's a machine, but she's never been joined to her husband. I'm painting a picture. Israel could never fit into God's plans. She wanted to do her own thing. She wanted to do her own, go her own way. And God was saying, Israel, oh Israel, come away, my beloved. Come away, let me woo you, come away, drop everything. I want to love you. I want to be intimate with you. And Israel said, no. Israel, don't you love me? Oh, we're your covenant people. We sacrifice lambs. Everything is fine, God. And God is hurt. Friend, do you know that there's a realm that goes beyond duties? It's deeper than being spiritual. Let me show you what I'm talking about. You remember the prodigal son? Bible says one day daddy looked up and he saw that boy coming and daddy lifted up his gabilia and he ran down that road and the Bible said he fell on his neck around that boy and he took that boy and he kissed him and he hugged him and he said, oh, my son that was dead, oh. 
and he put a ring on his finger, put a robe around him, and he sent word back to the house. He said, go send word back to the plantation. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party tonight. And the older brother came out. And what did the older brother say? Daddy, I can't believe you. I have obeyed you since I've been a boy. I have kept your commandments. I've been a good son. I've always told you what. I've always done what you told me to do. And daddy, I can't believe that you've run out there and just slobbered all over that boy that's been out there in sin. And daddy, I've always kept, I've always held my duties. I've always done what I was supposed to do. And there you are out there loving on that rebel. Wouldn't the prodigal son's father would have loved to have said, but son, there's more to this than duty. I want you to be my boy that loves me. I don't want you to be a servant that waits on me. I don't want you to be a servant that obeys my every command. I want you to be my son that will come in with intimacy with me and let me love you and you love me. You know what God finally did with Israel, friend? Making a long story short, God finally got through with Israel and set her aside and he picked up the church. How many of you have ever seen a man and a woman married and you look at them in the church and everything looks so good? The woman is beautiful. Her hair is perfect. Her body is felt. She walks around. She's like a little queen. And the man is handsome and they have the most beautiful kids. And all of a sudden, you find out that they're separated and divorced. And the man is off out yonder involved with some woman that's not nearly as good looking and maybe not nearly as intelligent, but he's off involved with somebody else now. And he left that beautiful wife. You know what happens in a lot of cases? The man's busy. He's taking care of the family and he calls up one day and he says, honey, hey, I got an idea. What is it? Let's drop everything today. I'll call in at work and I'm going to take a day off and let, let's go fishing, me and you. She says, oh, honey, no, I don't want to go fishing. Me and mama was going today looking at antiques and tonight they got something going on at the church and maybe next week. Next week comes around and he says, hey, honey, I got the greatest idea. Why don't we get a babysitter and why don't we go up to Callaway Gardens and look at the azaleas in bloom? Oh, honey, I'm so sorry, but you know, I'd already made plans with a girl at the office and she's already made plans with her husband and got a babysitter. Honey, I'm so sorry. I, I, later. And the first news you know That man's with some other woman that's not nearly as pretty and maybe not nearly as intelligent. But when he said, I'd like to go fishing, she said, I'll go with you. You want to go fishing? I'll go with you. And the first news you know, his heart is pulled away. Because you see, the other woman was beautiful and the other woman had it all together but she was never joined to her husband. You know what I'm thinking about? 
I'm thinking about Zsa Zsa Gavor. And I'm thinking about Marilyn Monroe. You know what about Marilyn Monroe? She was married to Joe DiMaggio. And did you know she was never known as Marilyn DiMaggio? She was always known as Marilyn Monroe. Married to him, but never really joined to him. How many people are there today in the body of Christ that says, I'm a Christian? But they've never really been joined and had an experience with Jesus. And Jesus said, come away, my beloved. And you get up and go to the bathroom at 4 o'clock in the morning, and you can't wait to get back to the bed to cover up in the covers, and you hear the voice of the Lord, and he says, come in the living room. I want to give you a truth. And you say, Lord, those covers are calling me. Would you fast three days? And would you call in and just take off three days and be with me, son? And spend time with me in intercessory prayer and let me reveal my heart to you, son. Lord, you know, I'd love to do that, but there's 20 souls to be saved. There's a sermon to get ready for Wednesday night. And Lord, I got Sunday coming up and I've got to visit the hospital. Lord, I love you, but could I get to you next week? How many of you know where I'm coming from? Many times the Lord called Israel. He said, Israel, I want to be your God. I want to be the Lord your God. And Israel said, not now. There's lambs to be sacrificed. We got to pull our tents up. We got to follow the glory cloud. Lord, we'll get with you later. You know what the Lord finally did? When Jesus came to the earth, they killed his son. But before they killed his son, Jesus walked out of the temple and he shook the dust off of his feet and he left Israel. And you know what he said? Your house is left to you desolate. And Jesus picked up a Gentile church and he said, I'll build my church out of this Gentile body. Oh, he loves the Jews. And yes, there's many Jews part of the body of Christ today. And the Lord will revisit them again in mass, even in that tribulation period. But the Lord grafted in the Gentile church because you see, the Lord is looking for people that will be joined to him. And I don't want to be one of those Gentile believers that will disappoint the heart of Christ one more time. I want the Lord to be able to look at us. I want the Lord to be able to look at Brownsville and see a church that when he says, come away, my beloved, that we'll drop everything and come away with him and know him and experience him. Friend, God is wanting the church to get intimate with him again. Don't have your agenda. My wife come, come home one time and she said to me, honey, do you like this dress? I said, no, but you can keep it because honey, whatever you like, I like it.
And if you like it, I like it. She looked at me and she said, oh no, no. If you're not happy and you're not satisfied with it and you don't like it, I don't want it. You know what my heart said? Come here, woman. My heart said, come here, woman. What did you say? And she said, oh, honey, she said, I liked it and I brought it home, but if you don't like it, I only wear those things that pleases you. I wear my hair the way you like it. You see, whenever a woman joins herself in this story of Ephesians 5 and she's joined her husband, it's so powerful, she loses her last name and she loses her life and she puts her arm inside of her man's arm and she says, where you go, I'll go. Your God will be my God and your people will be my people. And he looks at her and his heart safely trusting her and there's an intimacy there that no devil in hell can break apart. But oh, when you look at the church, The reason why I say there's a difference between the body of Christ and the bride of Christ is the Lord screaming to his body, Jew and Gentile, come away, my beloved. I need you. I want you. And we say, Lord, there's a sermon to get. There's souls to be saved. There's deliverances. I've got to visit the hospital. And the Lord says, oh, but please. But there's people out there in that body that will say, and usually they're the busiest. They're the people that's got their hands in the most. They're involved, they're faithful. And they'll say, what did you say, Lord? You say, come away. Yeah. Would you get out of that bed and come in here in the living room and let me talk to you and let me love on you? Friend, the most precious times in my life and the most precious times in my whole ministry has been in this church, all the lights out, sitting in my seat, not a word spoken, just sitting there soaking in the presence of the Lord. Just loving Jesus. And I could feel him just like he had his arms around me. And I didn't leave sometime until the sun came up. My wife said, oh no, if you don't like it, I don't want no part of it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we would take all of our stuff and our agendas and bring them and say, Jesus, how do you like this? And Jesus would say, I don't like it. It's not my perfect will for you. But if you really like it, I'll bear with you. And if we would say back to the Lord, Lord, Look at my schemes, look at my plans, look at my blueprints, look at my schedule. Look at my relationships, look at my home life, look at everything. And if there's anything here, Lord, that you don't like, just tell me, I wanna please you. Why does that man resist his wife? I close. Why does that man resist his wife? And he says, you're going to sleep, I'll be in there a little bit. Oh, he takes care of her but he's not intimate with her. Why? Because she always put more confidence and trust in daddy than she did in her husband. 
and she never really made her husband her life. She never really dropped that last name. She had her career. She never really put her arm inside his arm and said, man, I'm yours. Take me and do with me whatever you want. I'll go wherever you go, and I'll go when you say go. Honey, I love you, and you're my life. And because a man feels that that woman has not done that, many times he hides behind the paper. She's beautiful, and she's smart. But there's a wound and a pain in his heart that he resists her. Not rejects her, but he resists her. And I close by saying this. In the so-called body of Christ today, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord has got a lot of people in his so-called body that has never really been joined to him. And the Lord is not rejecting you, but he's resisting you. Oh, but God, we want miracles in our church. We want the wheelchairs to be rolled out and the people to jump and sing and dance. And we, Lord, we want healings and we want great revival. We want salvations and demons to be cast out. And the Lord says, I know that. Well, Lord, where are you? I'm just resisting you. Why? We want it. Because... You've never really joined yourself to me because you've never really made me your Lord. Well, Lord, you saved me. Lord, you gave us this beautiful church. I know that. I provided well for you. I've been a good husband. Well, Lord, we want these things. No. No, you see, you never would leave that thing out there in the world. I dealt with you for 27 years, and you always kept going back to it. You would come to me for a while, but you kept running back to that. You never were mine. Could I close today by telling you a story? Jesus said, many will come unto me that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils? And Lord, have we not prophesied your name? And have we not done many wonderful works? Jesus said, I will say to them in that day, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Go. I never knew you. Let me break that scripture down for you and tell you how it really is. Jesus is saying, many will come to me in that day saying, but Lord, did we not cast out devils? He didn't dispute it. He said they did cast them out. You see, first of all, to call Jesus Lord, it means you've got to have an experience with him. He's not just Savior. You've moved on into lordship. You really knew him. He said, many will come to me that day saying, Lord, Lord. They didn't call him Savior, Savior. They said, Lord. The Bible says, no man calleth Jesus Lord but by the Holy Ghost. So they had an experience. Have we not cast out devils? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you did. See, the Bible said you can't even cast out devils except the stronger than the strong man be with you. So they had the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, have we not prophesied? Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, you prophesied, and it was true prophecies. And Lord, did we do many wonderful works? Yes, you sure did. I saw them. But he said, depart from me. I never approved of you, you workers of lawlessness. Here's what he was saying. 
I will say to them, depart from me. I never approved of you. You took the gift and left the giver. You workers that would have no law over you. I said, come, and you said, no. I said, heal, and you said, I said, come and let's talk. You said, no. I've got devils to cast out. And the Lord said, they'll come to me in that day saying, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And he said, yeah, you sure did. You had the power and you had the anointing. But we never talked. We never had a relationship. And friend, I want to leave this with you tonight. I'm worried about some of the people in the so-called church in these last days. I'm worried. I see a sword coming in the body. And I see a dividing line coming in the body of Christ that there's going to be a group of people that's going to find fault with everything and their heart is not really with the bridegroom and they've never really been joined to him. And they're going to criticize and balk and dig their heels in and they're going to rebel about everything and anything. And if they can't control everything and if they can't be in charge, they're going to just raise the devil. But I see another group that's saying, what's that you say, Jesus? Come aside. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. When? Now. Yes, Lord. Let's go. You get up and go to the bathroom at 4 o'clock in the morning. Would you go in here and let me talk to you for a minute about something? Lord, that cover's called me. No, Lord, I'll drop that cover. What do you want to say to me, Lord? Friend, I don't know about you, but I believe that Paul saw something. I believe that Paul saw something. He said, it's a great mystery. If the Lord would look you over today, how is your wife? Are you loving her? You say, but oh, she's got faults. You do too, Bubba. Oh, but Brother Kilpatrick, she's not perfect. Did you know when the Lord brought Israel out of Egyptian bondage, he knew in a matter of days they'd be dancing naked around a golden calf, but he still brought them out. Do you know that? And did you know when the Lord called his disciples, he knew Judas would betray him and he knew Peter and the disciples wouldn't be there when he needed them. Not perfect. You say, but oh, my wife is not perfect. Oh, but it says a lot about you if you reject her because she's not perfect and you start fantasizing about somebody else. It shows that you would backslide on God in a heartbeat too. Y'all with me? Oh, but Brother Kilpatrick, I love my husband. But have you dropped your plans to make his life your life? Well, I've got my career. What if the Lord said, I want you to go to China? Well, uh, I see what you're saying. Paul said, I show you a great mystery. I ask you today, how are things between you and the bridegroom? Do you hear his voice coo at you? Do you hear him lovingly call your name? Are you going to be submitted to him? Are you going to unconditionally love him? God's searching your heart. Would you stand with me, please?